1208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Got back from vacation and the world had changed. As Eric was just mentioning, we are now on FM as well, 620 WTMJ AM, the biggest stick in the stake, state. And what's happened is we've added an extra feature. People keep asking me about this whole FM thing. Are, are you guys an FM station now? Well, we, we have what's called a translator, which simulcasts the AM 620 signal, and you can pick it up uh, again in a large portion of the immediate, you know, Milwaukee area and the surrounding area. No, we're not leaving 620 WTMJ. We are an AM station, but also it's an enhancement. It's an additive thing because the truth is there are some people out there who can't believe this, but they don't even know there's this thing called an AM dial. So now you can just set your preset to 103.3, and as you drive around, you'll be able to hear us as well. It really is an enhancement, again, to allow us to bring all the stuff that you hear on WTMJ to perhaps an even wider audience, again, namely the people who just don't ever get over to the AM dial, but uh, something that's been in the works for a long time, and we're all very excited about this. All right, something else I'm very excited about. We announced this yesterday, Insight 2018 at the Country Springs Hotel, hosted by yours truly. Tickets went on sale yesterday. We had a very good initial response. Um, a very, very strong lineup this year. Here are some of the announced guests already. Um, we got Kathleen O'Leary, my dear friend. Uh, you want to talk about breaking through the glass ceiling? She's the CEO of the Wisconsin State Fair. Wisconsin State Fair has a number of interesting issues, including what do you do with Milwaukee Mile? Kathleen O'Leary is going to be joining us to talk all things fair. You heard a brief interview with him just a few minutes ago. Over the course of the last year, Attorney General Brad Schimmel has been at the center of a lot of very, very important and significant policy decisions. He will be joining us, and we're going to talk about all sorts of things that evening. United States Senator Ron Johnson, who in Washington has been at the center of a number of interesting policy debates, he will be joining us that night. Um, Tuesday, March 28th is a Wednesday night. The following Tuesday is the election for the state Supreme Court. There are two candidates running. One is a conservative candidate, Sauk County Judge Michael Skranach. You've heard his ads on the radio before. He was the top vote getter in the primary. He is running against a very, very liberal Milwaukee County judge. I invited them both to attend. Judge Skranach is going to be there. Judge Skranek will be there to discuss the campaign and the issues. Like I say, I invited his opponent. She passed on the opportunity to appear on WTMJ with me and appear in front of you in that live audience that night. But Mike Skranek will be there, and we'll talk to him about his issues. Um, if you haven't figured this out yet, there is a very, very sort of ramped up contest to see which Republican candidate will be in a position to challenge Tammy Baldwin in November of 2018. The two announced candidates are Kevin Nicholson, former military veteran who's been making quite a name for himself, and Leah Vukmir, state senator from um, the Milwaukee area. Kevin Nicholson is going to be there in person. He's committed to being there, and uh, you'll have a chance to meet him personally if you are in the audience Leah Vukmir, as it stands now, has a conflict. What we've made arrangements to do is to videotape something with her prior to that. My hope is that the conflict works out and she's able to attend personally. 
to appear in a debate. Matter of fact, Nicholson today has challenged Leah Vukmir to six separate debates, and he happened to mention that you know he's already agreed to an appearance at Insight in March. So um, he will be there in person regardless. And again, we'll we'll either have uh, Senator Vukmir on on tape, or hopefully, if her schedule clears up, we'll have her there in person. That would be wonderful. And right now, we're scheduled. Also, we will be having Governor Scott Walker. Um, he's in his third re-election campaign. Well, he's running for a third term. It's actually his fourth election campaign, um, and we're very excited to have him. He will be probably our headliner. Might be a couple other guests announced as well, but that's a pretty powerful lineup. Tickets are $25. It's an intimate setting, and if you've been to Insight before, you know how much fun it is. It's your chance to see candidates up close and personal and just see how they interact with the, the audience and, and with you. Uh, the tickets are on sale starting, uh, they went on sale yesterday. You can go to WTMJ.com and there, just click on the box. It'll say purchase, uh, tickets to Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. In addition, if you want us to make it even easier, if you simply text me the word Insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, to 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we will send you a link to the uh, to the ability to purchase tickets. Um, there are a limited number, so I would encourage you to act quickly. Also, sometime between now and 3 o'clock today, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to Insight 2018. So keep listening. We start off today's program content-wise like we start off every program. Three big things. A carjacker meets his demise in Milwaukee. We'll talk about it next. It's 1214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. You will remember a few weeks ago, there was all this gnashing of teeth and crocodile tears being cried by a handful of aldermen in the city of Milwaukee when there was a photograph taken of a a worker, a subcontractor who worked for a contractor that was hired to perform work for the city of Milwaukee, and a couple of the subcontractors showed up, heaven forbid, carrying guns. Oh, the aldermen were outraged. Oh, this is terrible. You know, this is awful that people, this sends the wrong message of what's going on in Milwaukee. This is terrible. We need it looking at having these uh, these people disciplined. We need it look to look at whether we're going to continue contracts with this particular contractor. And, and the point I made was you want to talk about the emperor having no clothes. Instead of these aldermen being concerned about, gee, what does it look like when people have to, what does it look like if people show up at Milwaukee job sites with firearms? Maybe the real question would have been, what what is it that's causing contractors to feel that they need to arm themselves when they go into the mean streets of Tom Barrett's Milwaukee? That's the more fundamental issue. But the aldermen didn't want to deal with that because they don't care about that reality. And after we opened up that conversation, we took countless calls from people who travel around the city of Milwaukee performing jobs who talk about how, yeah, they carry guns or they want to be able to carry guns because they are they are victims. The bad guys, the carjacking, the car theft is so out of control. You have a lot of these contractors that come. In many cases, they're carrying valuable tools. The bad guys know that, and they are easy targets. So that was the issue. We had the discussion. But, of course, in the city of Milwaukee, where, you know, reality, reality just is never touched by perception 
um, that that kind of got lost. And the contractors and the subcontractors, and their employees, they were the bad guys without really addressing the underlying problem. Well, those chickens are starting to come home to roost. Yesterday morning, around 5.50 a.m., near Milwaukee Machine Tool Corporation, which um, is kind of on the northwest side, what happens is there is there's a, a 24-year-old guy who's going to work. Now, it's, it's dark at the time, so he's going to work. What happens is, apparently, and as of yet, 21-year-old guy who is armed, apparently, and is working in league with someone else. So there's like, uh, my impression is, there's a getaway car driver, and there's the 21-year-old. 21-year-old who's armed gets out of the car and tries to carjack this 24-year-old guy who is heading into work. And again, it's dark. It's shortly before 6 a.m. Well, the 21-year-old thug, and again, we're talking about the 8800 block of West Fond du Lac, picked the wrong victim. Because what happened is, when the carjacker tried to carjack the vehicle, the man in the car, who lives, by the way, outside the city, he had a concealed carry permit, and he had a gun, and he shot and killed the 21-year-old would-be carjacker. The getaway car driver then fled, so they're still looking for the guy that was associated with it, but like the coward, we're going to be using that word a little bit later on, like the coward the getaway car driver was, he fled. The 24-year-old man, the guy that was the employee, he, he stood on the, he stayed at the scene. I mean, he was working there. He was on his way to work, you know, and he cooperated with the police. So now you have this situation. The alderman from the area is in denial, saying, oh, this is a pretty good area. We, we don't have that stuff. Uh, Channel 6 had sort of an interesting interview with many people who work in the area, and they say, you know, at a lot of these businesses out there, um, many, many of the workers do, in fact, bring guns to work because carjackers are frequenting businesses looking for vehicles to steal, and they're especially... Looking at people, again, it's dark when you have these workers who are coming to work. So, um, you know, they're, they're targeting them on a regular basis because they feel that the people are going to be vulnerable. Um, one of the witnesses that they interviewed said, it's a war zone out here. So you're used to carjackers. You're used to murderers. You've got to watch out for stuff like that. If not, you're a victim. I'm not trying to be a victim, so... And so they say that's why a lot of people are, you know, carrying guns in order to protect themselves from these attacks. Um, matter of fact, another one of the witnesses that they quote um, on Channel 6 says, I think everybody around here pretty much carries. We've got guys that carry here, and I've told them, you know, when we pull in here and we're waiting, put it right in your lap. Put it in your lap as we face the gate. That's to get into the business. Um, we back in so our fronts are facing the gate open. Everyone is conscious of what's going on in the area. In other words, to go to work in the city of Milwaukee, these people know that they got to carry guns because the bad guys are out there targeting them. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Dex line. Look, we, we do not have a death penalty for carjacking. And, and nobody it would seriously argue that you should have one. But in a situation like this, 
given that this type of crime is out of control and is rampant in the city of Milwaukee, I think it is perfectly reasonable to anticipate that more and more people are going to start carrying guns. I do not fault the 24-year-old man in this case at all, based on what is known. And I would not be surprised if we start to see more stories like this, because the criminal justice system is completely and totally failing. So, was the 24-year-old man wrong for having a gun? Was he wrong for not simply giving this would-be carjacker his keys and allowing the guy to drive off? My answer would be absolutely not. And I think this sends an important message to all the carjackers out there that, you know, you decide to engage in this type of behavior, and we now live in a concealed carry world, and it is quite possible that you might find the tables turned. It's unfortunate that this 21-year-old man chose to engage in this behavior, but if it's hard for me to feel much sympathy for him. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1224. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, we, we don't have a death penalty for carjacking, but I feel... No sympathy for this 21-year-old guy who tried to rob this man going to work early yesterday morning and found out he picked the wrong person to try to carjack. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul in Lake Geneva. Paul, you're first. Hello. Oh, wow. Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, well, I work in Milwaukee three days a week, and, uh, you know, I guess I've I still continue to be naive, but there's all this stuff, even though I hear it every day on your station and others. But mm-hmm. now, um, I've never been a gun person, but I'm really considering it. In fact, the church I go to uh, does the gun training, right. or whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I think, you know, in all of the Alderman's good intentions, He's appealing to people. He's trying to appeal to a conscience or even common sense. And the people he's trying to appeal to, I don't believe have either. Right. And no, no conscience so and no it, common it, sense. It, no, hey, thanks to call, Paul. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah, well, that's look. And, and I think the decision to carry a firearm is a very significant one. And I don't think people should undertake it lightly all sorts of different factors that go into it. And it's candidly, it's not right for everybody. But for people who are comfortable with that and for people who are traveling into areas where it is more likely that you will be a victim than other areas. And apparently at this particular business, this is just, it's just, you know, they, they, they know that this thing could happen. They're talking about how lots of people just carry those firearms as because, again, they're, I don't know if they've got tools. They're coming to work early in the morning. They know that they are potential targets. And in this particular case, rather than be a victim, you had somebody who defended himself. And I guess what's frustrating to me, again, the politicians in Milwaukee, they're concerned with the perception, oh, we don't want the idea that employees or people who are carrying firearms, that sends the message that the area is unsafe. Well, the areas are unsafe. I mean, for goodness sakes, deal with the underlying problem. 414-799-1620. Jan in Brown Deer. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jan. I, I agree with you 110%. Um, 
that 24-year-old had every right to defend himself. There's nothing wrong with him at all. He was out there at a job making a living. Mm-hmm. And 21-year-old should have been maybe making a living himself. And instead of stealing and being a criminal, actually get a job, a real job, and have his own money rather than stealing someone else's. And I will be really curious, Jan. I mean, authorities haven't released the name of the 21-year-old. So, I mean, maybe this was his first time at the rodeo. Maybe just yesterday morning he and his buddy woke up and said, hey, let's arm ourselves and let's go out and let's go try to steal a guard gunpoint. My guess is that this man had prior contacts as an adult and or a juvenile with the criminal justice system. Could be wrong, but my guess is this wasn't his first time at the rodeo, like I say. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with you. You're just right on. Thanks right for the on. call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. And, and this is the reality. I'm actually, I have an interesting text. You know, uh, Mike in Waukesha makes the point that, you know, if, if this happens, you know, one more time, you know, carjacking is going to drop off precipitously. If the word gets out that, hey, you know, you picked the wrong victim, that's one of the reasons why, you know, if you look at a lot of the modus operandi of these carjackers, you know, they try to pick single women. You know, that's the thing. It's like single women or older women because they figure that they're less likely to be carrying guns. If you don't think that the guns are a deterrent, I'm sorry, you don't recognize what is going on. All right. We could talk about this for an hour. I'm sorry the guy died. It is an unfortunate situation, but he brought it on himself. And I think this is potentially going to be a trend. I think, you know, if, again, carjackers continue to pick the wrong victims, Don't be surprised if this happens again, which is all the more reason why the district attorney's office and the judges need to get their act together when it comes to dealing with violent criminals. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, it may be a late February matchup, but Greg Matzik says tonight's Bucks Wizards game carries a good deal of weight to it. He will explain why this evening on Sports Central at 6.04. Again, just another quick reminder, tickets to Insight 2018 went on sale yesterday, getting a huge response, um, uh, including some interesting developments in the uh, GOP Senate race. It appears that that's heating up a little bit as well. And Kevin Nicholson, at least so far, is committed to being there in person. Leah Vukmir, his chal- his opponent, is um, has a conflict that night, but at least initially it agreed to appear on, on something we record earlier. But we're hoping that she can work stuff around so they could both be there in person. How cool would that be? Governor Scott Walker is going to be our headliner. Lots of great guests. If you want tickets, uh, WTMJ.com. You can click on that. It will be a lot of fun. All right, big story number two. And I want you to be honest about this. Uh, the story was first broken on the Drudge Report, but, you know, it's been picked up by a number of other outlets as well. President Trump confirming that he intends to run for re-election in 2020. Now, th- this, in, in some respects, isn't really a surprise because the day after his inauguration, he filed papers with the Federal Election Commission um, indicating that he was going to be a candidate for 2020. By doing that, it allowed him to raise money. So that's that's not an unusual thing. People do that all the time. So, I mean, maybe not the day after the inauguration, but soon into a term. It's not unusual to file those papers, you know, allowing you to create like a re-election committee so you can start taking money and things like that. But here, um, just a little over a year into the term, 
The president is now coming out and apparently saying he's going to run for re-election in 2020. He is a candidate. He's hired a, a campaign manager who was actually the campaign manager is the guy who was the director of his, you know, digital strategy back in uh, 2016. And he will be the campaign manager. So they're bringing him on on board. And so the president appears to be all in. Typically, and there's nothing typical about this president, typically presidents do not formally announce a re-election campaign until after the midterm elections, which would be sometime, you know, after, you know, after November of this year. At the same time, it's, it's not most presidents when they run. Their intention is that they are going to run for a, a second term. It would be highly unusual for somebody not to. But it's also highly unusual for the president to come out right now and say, hey, I'm I'm in this. All right. Four, one, four, seven, nine, nine, one, six, twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the conventional wisdom is that there is no chance that President Trump can win a second term. That is conventional wisdom. I think conventional wisdom is wrong. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I think from a political perspective, it's a brilliant move to come out early and make it clear that you intend, in this case President Trump, intends to run again. Does President Trump have any chance of being reelected? My answer is yes. I will explain why in just a moment. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Democrats who want to retake the White House be turning cartwheels over this announcement? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back in just a moment. It's 1240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I I know some of you might be thinking, what what do you mean, Jeff? Are you still hungover from your vacation at Key West? You you really mean you think that Donald Trump might be able to win? Well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. Let me run through a couple things before we start taking phone calls on this. First of all, um, his he's had a rough first year. I mean, to the extent that I mean, like I said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. And and he's had, as far as press coverage, he's had everything thrown at him, including the kitchen sink. And if you look at his current polling numbers, they're in the low forties. All right, they're in the low forties. Matter of fact, there's a Democrat uh, Democratic group, Priority USA. Their polling shows that his approval rating had climbed to 44% early last month. Um, most of the public polls show it somewhere 41, 42, 43, 44%. That's important because that's where the approval ratings, to the extent that you pay attention to polls, that's where it was with Reagan and Clinton and Obama in their second years. That's where those numbers were. So he's tracking that. On top of that, you have these tax cut packages that people are just starting to see um, in their paychecks that they've been getting over the last you know couple weeks and all. And there's a lot of Democrats who are saying, OK, how are we going to run against this? He's putting more money back into the hands of the American public. So I understand that he's controversial, 
But this idea, anybody that says that President Trump can't win, I just don't believe that they are, I don't believe that they're really reacting to stuff. Plus, my other question is going to be, who who is it going to be? I mean, who do the Democrats have? I mean, do you really, is an, is an Elizabeth Warren, is that type, have we really swung that far that the country is going to go to a sort of far leftist? I mean, are we really moving away from being what I think is predominantly a conservative-leaning country? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I think it's too early uh, to predict, but I will say this. If he were running for election, re-election, and the reason I say it's too early is because we have no idea who's going sure. Right, and you also don't know what can happen over the next couple of years. The economy could go into the tank, and if that happens, it's a different dynamic. Sure, right, and if but and at the same token, if we get someone as you know that is you know as, as eye catching media eye catching like Obama was, and he ran, certainly that could ter- certainly change the narrative. But I think if he's running right, if you're ever if he were up for re-election in November, I think he wins. I think hmm. that most people vote with their pocketbooks. And the economy is doing good. You know, right. you know the, the, obviously it's the, the early going. There are a lot of there were a lot of bonuses handed out as, as far as this, because of the tax cuts. Um, there's been a you know a lot of businesses expanding as far as the tax cuts. And I'm not a Trump guy by no right. stretch of the imagination, but I give credit where credit is due. The economy's doing good. I think that his infrastructure plan is something that should be embraced by both sides, which is I think a good idea. Outside of the spending, although even though neither party is a good, you know, a good grasp of you know what spending cuts are, but if he's running for his re-election now, he wins. Um, you know, I think he wins easily. I, yeah, no, thanks. Well, I mean, I don't know about easily, but you know, this is. I, I remember after Scott. When I, again, I, I don't want to draw comparisons between Scott Walker and Donald Trump. They are com- two completely different types of politicians. But I mean, I remember after all the controversy and furor with Act Ten. I had person after person, and you know who you are, calling me or sending me emails saying, Scott Walker is toast. This is going to be it. There's no way that he can survive the recall. Well, he survived the recall. Oh, there's no way that he can be reelected. Well, yeah, he, he was reelected, and he was reelected handily. I, I mean, I think, uh, again, it, I agree completely with our last caller, Lamar, that it's too early to say what's going to happen in, in 2020. But Donald Trump has confounded a lot of people. And if we are... I mean, there are dynamics that come into play here. If the economy goes south, well, that's a different thing. If this country ends up in a war, that's a different sort of scenario as well. So, I mean, I can't look in my crystal ball and predict the different outcomes. But I am saying that I I think if you look at a lot of the tea leaves, that you look at where other presidents were at this time in their tenure, if anybody writes off Trump, you are making a huge, huge mistake. Dan on the south side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Well, you know what? You said everything I said to your man. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in a couple of years from now. We don't know what's going to, if there's going to be a war out there. It's just too early to say if we should win or not. I just think it's just too early. Do you think that, okay, it, let's, if the election were in November of this year, instead of two and a half or almost three years from now, do you think... Do you think he would be a strong candidate to if the election were November? That's hard to say, too, because there are so many people on both sides. I don't know how they would vote. Do you? I mean, there are a lot of people that will not vote for him, right. young and old. And then there's some people all, all the way. And I, I listen to your station. I listen to all these places. Mm-hmm. And they will definitely vote for him again. So 
No, I and I don't think so. I, I mean, I I don't I don't either. I'm um I continue to believe that 2016 was as much if more than more than a referendum on Donald Trump. I believe it was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. I've been saying that all along. I think you know people people just didn't like Hillary Clinton, and you had a lot of Democrats who voted enthusiastically for Barack Obama, who made the decision simply that they were going to stay home. And I, I think, you know, Donald Trump was the benefit for that. But a beneficiary of that is I look out over the landscape, though, of who likely Democratic challengers are. What I see is the most likely people are like four or five folks from the far left wing of the Democratic Party. You know, some of some of these senators that are out there who I, I'm sure – will attract a lot of support among a lot of the typical sort of, you know, far left groups. But the question is going to be, is the country ready to move that far? I also think that, again, I, from a perspective of media coverage, you could not have had a worse first year. Now, again, maybe something changes if, if Robert Mueller comes out and there's indictments, and obviously that changes the dynamic as well. But assuming for the sake of argument that that doesn't happen, be, people, like one of our callers was saying, people vote with their pocketbooks. And right now, if you have money invested in the stock market through your 401ks, you're doing well. If you are working, and more and more Americans are working, if you're working, you're taking home more money in your paycheck than you were before because of the results of the tax cut. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of that stuff that's going on. Here's Jeff in Fox Point who sends me a text. I didn't vote for him in the previous election, but I've gone to the dark side and will be voting for him this time because our finances have approved in various ways. And to answer your question directly, yes, he could win. Um, another text, we could be replacing another Supreme Court justice. That would be huge. Um, Mike in Waukesha says, I voted for Trump because he was the price to pay to keep Hillary out of office. Trump will need to earn my vote the second time around. I mean, I do, I, I think that's a fair commentary because, as I've always said, you can't beat somebody with, with nobody. And that, that that's played out in Wisconsin as well. There is a certain segment of the population that just politically can't stand Governor Walker. Okay, politically. And, and they're not going to vote for him. But that's, that's 42 or 43% of the electorate, right? That's, that's not enough to get to the 50% plus one that you need to end up winning. Let's talk to Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? Well, what I'm thinking is not only is it too early to tell, but he's proving himself to not be a puppet, so to say. He's, he said he's, going to try and run this company like a business and he's succeeding mm -hmm. and he's going to be up against the media and trying to tear him down all along the way but i just hope that it plays out that you know his accomplishments are going to outweigh his character are you, you know, <laughs> that's a good way to i mean that's a that's a good way to, to to put it i mean as i've been saying for the last year i, I think you have to substitute you, you, you gotta the problem is some of his style a lot of his style gets in the way of what the substance is. You know, it's the late night tweets and stuff like yep. that. I just, mm -hmm. I, I wish, I wish he would do less of that and more of the, <laughs> you know, more of the day to day. Yep. Let's roll up our sleeves and yep. sit down with the leaders. Do. Yeah, let, let's sit down with the leaders of Congress and let's figure out. All right, what what is is there a is there sensible gun control reform? For example, 
which we should all be able to agree on? And my answer would be yes, that, that there is. Um, that's the question. Now, thanks for the call. I guess th- th- this is interesting. When, when I first saw the reports today, oh, he's announcing that he's going to run for re-election, I guess I was thinking, I was kind of rolling my eyes, but the more I thought about it, and then when I went back and I started looking at some of where is President Trump, because, again, we, we, a lot of us are historically ignorant, and, and you might think, oh, my gosh, you know, Trump's numbers, look, this is just awful. People all hate him, and his numbers are in the dumper. Well, they're, they're actually very, very comparable, again, to, if you believe polls, to where President Reagan was, to where Bill Clinton was, to where Barack Obama was. Um, President Bush, in a George W. Bush, in a different situation because you had 9-11. So, I mean, that kind of skewed the whole thing um, there because his numbers were very, very high. But that was, in some respects, a little bit artificial because of the um, the country coming together after, after 9-11. But, you know... President Trump's numbers, to the extent you believe numbers, aren't out of line with anybody else. I, I, I personally believe in my lifetime Ronald Reagan was the greatest president in my lifetime, and I remember, you know, uh, the first couple of years in the eighties, his his numbers, his poll numbers were awful, and nobody nobody thought he was going to go on to be reelected, and he was reelected against Walter Mondale in eighty four, winning I think every state except Minnesota off the top of my head. So. Um, for, for everybody who's, again, if you're an anti-Trump person, a Democrat, and you're just turning cartwheels, hey, he says he's going to run again, I don't know, be careful what you, be careful what you wish for, because you, you might end up getting it. All right. When we come back, big story number three. The Florida deputy who stayed outside while the shooter was in Parkland High School says, I'm not a coward. 414-799-1620. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. It's 12:54. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve fifty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Dash cams are one of the hottest items of electronic stores these days. Whether it's bad driving or the latest storm, they can capture it all. Our very own Gene Miller takes a look at their rise in popularity. Be sure to tune in 6.51 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, big story number three. The Florida deputy who did not go into Parkland High School to confront the shooter says through his attorney, I am not a coward. His name is Scott Peterson, um, not to be confused with the infamous Scott Peterson convicted of all sorts of crimes in uh, out of Illinois. Um, all right, here, here's what, what his attorney says. He says, my guy, my client, has been unfairly described as a coward. Peterson was the school resource officer. What happened was, while the shooting was going on, um, Peterson's story, through his attorney, is that he didn't realize that the shots were coming from inside the school. Hmm. He said that he thought the shooting was taking place outside the school and as such followed protocol for the incident which included uh, taking up a tactical position outside of the building so his story is i didn't realize the shooting was going on inside i thought it was coming from outside so i decided to sort of hunker in place taking up again a tactical position the guy's attorney says he had the presence of mind to have school administrators go to the school's video room and review the closed-circuit cameras to locate the shooter and obtain a description for law enforcement so when the SWAT team got there, they, they knew where to go. So he says, I'm not a coward. 
I, I just I thought the shots were coming from outside. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is the man unfairly being called a coward? He says again he didn't realize the shooter was in the building. We discuss. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Big story number three. The Broward County, former Broward County deputy, he has been fired, who stood outside at Parkland High School. He was the school resource officer. He, he through his attorney, says he objects to being labeled as a coward. His story is when the shooting broke out, he thought the shots were coming from outside the building, so he stayed outside. Um, and try to secure a perimeter. Now, that opinion was an error. He has been called a coward. He takes exception to that. Most notably, President Trump is, of course, saying that he thinks if it was him, he, he being President Trump, even if he was unarmed, would have run in and attempt to help. 414-799-1620, is it unfair to label the guy as a coward? My take on this, coward is a strong word to use. But if his story is correct, that he thought the shots were coming from outside the building, then I think you could fairly say that he's probably incompetent. Coward, don't know, but how could you not have recognized what was going on? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Oak Creek. Steve, good afternoon. Yes, I, I kind of agree. I think unless you're put in that position yourself to know what you would expect, actually do, and if he was a security guard or even a policeman. Yeah, well, he was. He was a deputy sheriff who was assigned to the school. Okay. Yeah. So was he in a squad with a sawed-off shotgun, or did he just have a pistol? No, I'm sure he just had a handgun. So I mean, he just had a handgun, and he hears what amounts to a machine gun going on inside. I mean, that's why they have SWAT teams. And, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, before they had these these weapons, we didn't have to have SWAT teams, but we do now. Mm-hmm. So. so you I, don't let, let me back up then. So let's 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 put aside that he thought the shots were coming from outside. This question for for just a minute. Um, you've got a security. Uh, you've got a, a sheriff's deputy armed with a handgun. There's somebody in the school that's shooting up the school armed with an AR-15. You think it is? Would you think it would be reasonable then for that deputy? to wait outside for for help before going in and trying to confront the shooter? I I don't know. It's a tough question because unless you're put in that position, sometimes mm-hmm. I think if your adrenaline is, you know, taking charge, probably yes. But, mm-hmm. boy, you know, unless you're presented with that position, you don't know. Yeah. No, thanks. Well, you, you don't know how anybody would react. But, I mean, I, as I was saying this yesterday, thanks for the call, I – okay – I, I go back to I go back to nine eleven, and you know you had that that was that was the, the heroic moment of the first responders, everybody running one way after the terrorist attack, the firemen, the the police officers, the EMTs running another way, running into into danger, and that's 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 what law enforcement does. That's what the emergency responders do. That they confront this danger, even knowing that okay, maybe they're outgunned. Maybe maybe there's no way. Maybe there's nothing you think you can do to save somebody in that burning building. But you go into that burning building and you try to save it anyways. Now, I, again, I coward is a strong word to use. I I think it's very clear that the the sheriff 
thinks that he violated protocol by not going in. His story is he thought the shots were coming from the outside, which, candidly, when I hear that, I kind of roll my eyes because I don't think anybody thought that the shots were coming from outside. Um, but that's his story. Is it too strong to call him a coward? 414-799-1620. Let's, uh, let's see. Let's talk to um, Bob in McGuanago. Bob, hello. Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think, sir? Is coward too strong a word? It certainly is, I think. And I think we're rushing to judgment before we've heard all of the facts here. And as I was explaining before, what I heard this morning that came out on the news is that, first of all, what was reported to this resource officer, number one, somebody reported firecrackers going off. And secondly, they reported that it was in the vicinity, they heard noise in the vicinity of the football field. So I think what this person was trying to do, first of all, was assess where is this occurring and what was happening. He recognized, I think he's admitted through his lawyer now, that it wasn't firecrackers that he was hearing. But I don't think he knew exactly where all the firing was going on. And you did mention that he directed the uh, school administrators mm-hmm. to go to the video center and try and locate this person. Right, so when the SWAT team arrived, they had a diagram of, of where, where the shooting had been, yeah. Possibly that. Also, it would be helpful to him to try and understand where this was going on. So, you know, I think we have a combination of things coming together in a storm that. He's trying to locate where this shooting or this noise is coming from. He was told one thing, and he's starting to understand that it's not where it was reported. Do you think so, he should have been fired? He should have been fired? Do you think he should have no. been fired? Okay. Not, huh. Well, not now, okay. because we don't know all of the facts and what was said. Okay, okay? fair enough. Okay, thanks for call. 414-799-1620. Um, I, I guess... I mean, part of part of this, and I appreciate how difficult it is to second-guess things, the fact that the, the sheriff acted so quickly and decisively in essentially demanding his resignation and getting it uh, tells me that um, tells me that the response was not adequate. Now, maybe I have no doubt that there was some degree of confusion that's probably going on. What do they call that phrase? The fog of war. You're always trying to figure out exactly what, what is happening here. I will say this. Um, I, I think that I, I think that I appreciate trying to assess stuff. I have a hard time believing he did not perceive, he did not understand that the shots were coming from inside in which case I, I think that you then kind of throw caution to the wind and, and you run in in an effort to try to confront the shooter. Would it have made a difference? I, I don't know. But lingering around on the outside, to me, I, I, again, coward is a strong word, but I, I do think that there was an error in judgment here. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I, I don't think it's really, at this point, I don't think it's too likely to say that the guy was a coward. He's to protect and to serve the, you know, the public interest. And keep in mind, so we're getting some more information. We're also told that this is the same um, police department 
that I actually told the first responders not to go in to help the victim. Yeah. And, and so you literally had people bleeding out. You had you had one. Uh, I think it was the uh, Coral or Goral uh, Gables uh, Police Department was making the the accusations against the Broward uh, uh, police officers that they were not doing their job. I mean, that's that's yeah. at the end of the day. Um, when you have something like this, Jeff, I mean, you have to respond and you have to be very quick. You don't have time to sit around and think, oh, I'm wondering if the guy is, you know, you know right. outside or inside here. You got to find where it's coming from. Right. And, and the only question to me would be, was it reasonable to believe that the shots were coming from outside the building? But under all the circumstances, I, I don't I, I have trouble figuring out how a, an experienced law enforcement person could have thought that, especially after the first 30 seconds or so. Maybe maybe initially it's where are the shots coming from, but you hear all the screams, you hear everything going on. Don't yeah. you run to where the situation is as opposed to lingering outside? Now, thanks for calling. Again, I, I think coward is a strong word. I don't want to throw that around, but, but I do. I understand why the sheriff fired him. Um, this certainly wasn't. It was either It was either a lack of heroism or... Or alternatively, it was bad judgment, um, or or somewhere you know in between. And I, if I was a if I was a parent down there, and I'm listening to the story, saying, "What do you mean? Okay, you hear all these screams coming from inside the building, and you're staying outside because your story is you think the shots might be coming from outside." Again, call it what you want, but it doesn't seem to me like it's very good law enforcement. John and Fond du Lac. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you uh, think? Thanks for taking my phone. Yes, sir. Um, it got to mark me on. I, I hate the word coward because it really is. Uh, yeah, well, but, it's, a, it's uh, a heavy. It's a heavy word to throw around. Sure. Yes, it is. But under these circumstances, and he's his own worst enemy with his accounts. If he heard the gun shooting, and he de- just decided, no matter where it was, inside, outside, to drop in place and hold there. Uh, that's not what first responders are trained for. Right? Yeah, you run. You run to the danger. Years. Yeah. You you run towards the smoke, the fire. Police, they run towards the action. You hear gunfire. You don't drop into place. Somebody needs you. Yeah. You you react. You don't drop into place. Yeah. Uh, I I would hate to. Thank God we had that uh, the officer down in Oak Creek that. Uh, right. Right, responded at the Sikh Temple shooting. Decided not to drop in place. Yeah, no, that I mean, thanks I, again. I, I just, I, I think more facts will emerge uh, about this, and I understand why. You know, he hires the attorney, and the attorney says, "Okay, well, th- this guy's not a coward." And that's a strong word to throw around, but, but at the very least, this was not an adequate response. It, it just, it just wasn't, and he was the first guy on the scene. And whether it was cowardice or a lack of judgment or an inability to correctly assess what was going on, I think he screwed up. And I think he screwed up badly. All right. When we come back, if you have driven in downtown Milwaukee lately, you know that it's almost impossible to drive in certain parts of downtown Milwaukee because the streets continue to be torn up as a result of Tom's trolley folly. Well, for everybody who thinks this is going to be a giant success, I have an update. Yet another trolley system in a city that really needed one, it ain't working. I'll tell you all about it, and we'll see whether it is the ghost of Christmas future 
for Milwaukee. Stick around. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty-three, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's a new way to listen to WTMJ. It's on the FM dial. This is something that has been works for months and months and months, maybe years. Uh, and our general manager Tom Langmeyer, who's about as good as it, he's about as good as it comes when it comes to being a radio executive. He's been working on this for quite a while, and it, it's really very cool. Breaking news, traffic reports, weather updates, and your favorite Wisconsin sports teams. Plus, all those talk shows you like, always on AM at 620 and now on FM at 103.3 in your car, your home, with Alexa or from the stands. You can now listen to us on AM and FM. That's AM at 620 and FM at 103.3. And again, I, people will say to me, well, why, why did you guys do this? Or are you abandoning the AM dial? No, 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 no. That's the farthest thing from the truth. We have the biggest stick in the state and, you know, clearly... You know, that's where most people listen to us on AM at 620. But there are a certain segment of people who just, they don't even know that there's an AM dial that's out there. And this is our ability to be additive, to reach them as well. Um, I was driving around the area, and um, that you, you can pick up the FM signal in a good portion of our listening area. Um, again, you've also got 620, as always. So you can check it out, AM or FM. All right. A couple weeks ago, Groove's producing the show. We, we told the story of the Cincinnati streetcars. So Cincinnati came up with this idea that, uh, kind of like Tom's Trolley Folly, we'll install the, these streetcars. And, you know, what they found was the things don't work. Um, the cars break down. They don't run in the cold. They don't run in the snow. They don't run in the ice. And they don't run in the rain. Huh. Okay, well, let's see. What do we have in common with Cincinnati? Oh, I know. It's cold. Matter of fact, it's colder here normally than in Cincinnati. And normally we get more snow here than they get in Cincinnati. And, you know, freezing rain and ice and stuff, well, we get lots of ice here as well. So, hmm, it doesn't work in Cincinnati. Well, all right, why should we think that it's going to work in Milwaukee? Well, here, here's another story. D.C., now, unlike Milwaukee, if you have ever been to Washington, if you've ever been to D.C., D.C., because of the congestion, is very, very difficult to get around in. If there was ever a place, I mean, it is, it's almost, I don't want to say impossible, but it's difficult to drive in downtown D.C. It just, things are just crowded, so people don't. People take public transportation in D.C., if there was ever a place where maybe a trolley would work, it would be a place like, like D.C., huge population base, people needing to get around, all those type of, of things. So, okay, maybe you can make it. Also, the weather in the District of Columbia is much more temperate than it is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, they do get snow occasionally. On those occasions when it, it gets snow, the city completely, totally shuts down. I was stuck, 1984, I was stuck in a blizzard in Washington, D.C., spent the night at uh, Reagan National. Wonderful experience. Actually, it was. I had a, got a lot of great stories out of that. But, I mean, okay, in D.C., you have much better weather conditions, and you have a much greater population base. So if the trolley was going to succeed, maybe that would be the place. Well, I've got an update on the D.C. streetcar fleet. And let me put it like this. 
if I was in Milwaukee, I was Tom Barrett, I was the people who voted for this folly, I would be scared. I would be very scared. I'll tell you all about it in just a minute. It's 127. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Many have heard of 4G or 5G, but what does it all mean when it actually comes to your phone and your data plan? An explanation of what it is and why it matters at 434 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. And by the way, we're doing something really, really cool today. Um, John McCure, as part of our WTMJ Cares initiative, has been just all over the, the, over, over the honor flight and doing a big fundraiser tonight. He's going to be doing, he's actually, um, Melissa Barkley is going to be here in the studio, but John is going to be down at Turner Hall because tonight's the night, um, big fundraiser for Honor Fund, um, for the Honor Flight. Um, hundred bucks gets you into this party and you get to mingle with some of the Honor Flight veterans and things like that. And then everybody goes across the street, um, to sit together and watch the Bucks play the Wizards. Um, there are a couple tickets left and they're still available at the door. So if you're looking for something to do this evening and you su- want to support a wonderful cause, Turner Hall, um, and John's going to be there all afternoon. Come on down, write a check, enjoy the event. And like I say, it's a wonderful event as part of WTMJ Cares. And um, go say hi to John. He's doing a great job with that. In addition, as long as we're talking about events, yesterday we we rolled out um, initial announcements of Insight 2018. It is going to be March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. And we've just got a dynamite lineup. You can go to WTMJ.com and check it out. Governor Walker is going to be our headliner we have an in-person commitment from Kevin Nicholson, the U.S. Senate candidate. Um, hopefully, Leah Bookmeyer can figure out a way to be there in person. Otherwise, you know, we'll have we'll do a video thing with her beforehand. But hopefully, she can be there in person. The conservative who will be running for the state supreme court. Um, the election is the Tuesday following Wednesday, March twenty eighth. Mike Skranek, he is going to be there. He's a Sauk County judge. We invited his challenger, and she declined. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, Attorney General Brad Schimmel, my friend Kathleen O'Leary, who runs the state fair. Um, it's a great guest list that I mentioned. Governor Walker is going to be the headliner. It's just a lot of fun. If you want, if you want to get tickets, and they're going fast, WTMJ.com. They're twenty-five bucks, and it's a wonderful chance to see all these newsmakers, especially in an election year, in an intimate setting. So. Go to WTMJ.com and just click on the Insight 2018 logo. All right. I want to be careful with how I present this because the, 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 I, I, when I originally thought of doing the topic, I was going to say, why did nobody watch the Olympics? And that's, that's not true. Winter Olympics just finished, and um, they averaged um, the average viewership – Average 19.8 million viewers. Now, most of the people who watched the Olympics, they watched on, on NBC. But at the same time, there were multiple streaming platforms. So, so they had um, NBC, the NBC Sports Network, and the NBC Sports digital streaming platform. So putting them all together, they averaged 19.8 million viewers. Most of those were on, on NBC, period. But but you had all those different things, 19.8 million. And that's a lot of people. I mean, in today's day and age where you have all the different choices and ways you can watch, that's a bunch of people. However, that number, that 19.8 million viewers, 
was down 7% from the Sochi Olympics, um, which were 2014. And, and those numbers um, in Sochi, they didn't air stuff on the NBC Sports Network, and there was no simultaneous streaming. So 7% lower, and this year there were, even though it was lower, there were more different options. Um, the 7% viewership drop um, was significant, um, and it's large. You know, it, it, it's large, but at the same time, it was down substantially. And then, of course, um, you know, it's down more dramatically from other winter games like Salt Lake City in 2002, where you had 31.9 million viewers. 1998, uh, Nagano Olympics um, had 25.3 million. Vancouver in 2010 had 24.4 million. Torino in 2006 had 20.2 million. So um, they were, while high, 19.6 million viewers is a lot. They were lower. They were the least watched Olympics around, winter Olympics around. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. What happened? What happened that, that caused this drop? Why do you think that there was a drop? But again, I don't mean to minimize it. 19, let's round up, 20 million people watching on any given night you know, watching an event, regardless of whether they're watching on their computer or on one of the alternate channels or on NBC. That's a lot of people. 20 million people is a lot of people. But it was down, and it's been part of a continuing trend. What do you think happened this year? Were you as interested in the Olympics this year as you might have been, say, in past years? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a theory and it's something that I think networks like NBC need to be mindful of when they decide to throw around big money to bid for these events. But what do you think happened? Did you watch the Olympics as much? If not, why not? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Olympic, the ratings are in. Um, NBC, across, across all their platforms, averaged 19.8 million viewers. And that's, again, NBC Sports, their digital streaming platform, the NBC Sports Network, and NBC. Most of that 19.8 million people watched on NBC proper. Lowest rated Winter Olympics ever, 7% down from Sochi, which was less than a lot of other ones. What what happened? And again, I don't mean to suggest that there weren't a lot of people watching, but there weren't as many watching this year as there were four years ago, and certainly a lot less people watching than a number of years ago when there were more alternatives. 414-799-1620. I think there's a couple things, starting with, you know, really no, no or very few breakout American performances. Let's face it. I mean, we want to root for Americans, and this year's Olympic team, as a general rule, I think underperformed, especially in a lot of the, I don't know the 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 events that that the more high profile type of events. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Chad in Milwaukee. Chad, good afternoon. Hey, hi, Chad. Uh, so I have three I have three things that uh, really attributed to this. Uh, first of all, um, I think NBC did a poor job of putting stuff in 
prime time that people would watch on their main network. They put a lot of stuff on the sports network that a lot of people would watch, such as hockey, such as they had a lot of the figure skating stuff on the sports network at prime time live. And mm-hmm. then I flipped over to the main network, and it was like snowboarding or something like that. Right. Or something that didn't even have Americans really in it. Right. And I was just like, why are they doing that? Um, the other thing is, um, you know, the time difference yep. was a huge thing. Obviously, they weren't doing live. A lot of people knew the results before it was on and prime time. And then the last thing is that the NHL players not being in the hockey um, was a huge thing. Right, because it's like who cares? Right, it's sort of like who cares about hockey? And I, I mean, you, you've got college players, and you've got some of the the older players who aren't in the NFL. Yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough to watch this hockey compared to some of the other hockey events. I agree with you completely. Right, they didn't even put that on the on the main network either. They didn't put any of the hockey games on the main network. And people, are, you know, I was trying to follow along, and of course, you know, Canada also laid an egg as far as right. Know, and it was just like it wasn't. It wasn't really. I mean, it was fun when you got into it, but you're like, who are these players? Well, well right, so, exactly. No, no, no. Thanks for calling again. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things that's that, that's fun about the Olympics is okay, who's going to be the breakout star? You know, where's the Dan Jansen? Where's the Bonnie Blair? You know, going for all the different medals, and you, you didn't see that from the U.S. I mean, women's figure skating is one of the glamour events. Well. Okay, you know the U.S. figure skaters have been down for well, they were down this this year, and I mean that's those those are those are factors that draw people to them. Uh, let's see, uh, got a tech, got a many texts, but no Bob Costas. I watched almost daily seven to eleven. Never saw a medal ceremony. Skater champs announced and the carpet put on the ice for ceremony, but then they went to news at ten or eleven. I never saw a medal ceremony. I saw very few, maybe one or two medal ceremonies. The other complaint I have is the coverage was so chopped up from seven to eleven. They have snaps of four different sports and half hour segments. When I just have from nine until ten, all the skaters, and then from eight until nine, all the snowboarders. It was terribly chopped up coverage. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Joe on the north side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Joe. I'm 55, and it's, it's just old hat now. I've been watching it for, you know, how since I was watching, you know, how many Olympics have I seen? Long time. And it's all the same. The only thing that I guarantee is bringing in all the ratings is the snowboarding because it's new and it's different and it's, it's exciting. I mean, no nobody under the age of four years is going to watch, you know, Guys on skis shooting rifles. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, no, you right. Th- thanks for calling. You, you, you have, but of course, that's always been the case. But, but in, in other Olympics, and again, I also understand that there's more choices that are out there now. But I think you know, be, I think the Olympics are a spectacle. But I, I think the time difference was a huge difference. And again, I still go back to my thing. I, I just there weren't breakout American stars. They're they're just. Weren't it, it wasn't? Hey, you know, here's somebody that's going for his or her, you know, third or fourth or fifth gold medal. We you didn't have that, and without without American stars to build coverage around. Oh, it's kind of cool, but no, Norway's going to win another cross country skiing thing. Okay, he's been there, done that, seen that movie, got that T-shirt. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, two things. One, I thought that the team just underperformed. There weren't yep. a lot of stars, like you were saying. But two, I, I was kind of turned off by the politics of it to begin with. Yep. You know, when it started off, Shawnee Davis is going to carry the flag or not carry the flag. 
we have the opening ceremony. There's this Mike Pence supposedly versus gay athlete. Right. And I was like, all right, okay, I can, it's, I can see where you're coming from on this stuff. But then they do this Sean White, you know, he wins the gold medal. He's crying, he's holding on to his, his mother. And I mean, that's what I watched the Olympics for, those kind of emotions. And right. The, you know, the, the champion. And then, like, the next time they're interviewing him, they're saying, well, you have this sexual assault, you know, or a sexual right. harassment suit. And I'm like, this is his moment. This is the, uh, the gold. And, and we're talking about what happened, you know, five years ago. If you want to do an interview, do it another time. But right, right. now we're supposed to be celebrating Olympics. And so there was... It was a lot of that, and then there was that, that that skater who was part of the bronze team. I mean, every time I turned on you at the, the Today Show in the morning, he was on talking about whatever. I mean, he didn't do anything in the open in the whole Olympics, but he was on there all the time. Are, are you talking about the, the 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 openly gay male figure skater? Is yeah, that the one yeah, we're talking about? Right. Yeah. Like, I just want to see guys compete, and you're right. It was all chopped up all over the place, but yeah, all in all, I, I thought it was just they. They were putting their slant on it, and after a while, I just got tired of it. Well, no, Mike, I, I think you're you're on to something, too. I, I have a number of texts. I'll, let me read your representative one. Some of the athletes made it political, which turned me off watching it, so I watched the athletes that were not making it political. I, I do, and you're right, there were all the, these different, there, there were these different type of stories, and I think part of that was based on, number one, the climate. Part of it was based, I think, also on the fact that, uh, again, Americans like to watch Americans, you know, compete, and because you had these athletes that were underperforming as a team, no offense to people who made the Olympic team, um, that it just I, there just wasn't anything to build that stuff around. I, I also think the time change is a factor. Now, far be it from me to advise these giant networks who are going to spend hundreds of millions or billions or whatever it is of dollars to get the rights to do the Olympics. But I, I would, if I were, if that were my dough. I would be demanding a say in where the games are held because I do believe when you're talking about a 15 or a 16 hour time difference, that makes a huge difference in coverage and in ratings and in people being able to buy things, which is why when you look at the highest rated Olympics, the two of, two of the three highest Olympics games, one, Winter Olympics, one was in Salt Lake City, that was number one, and number three was in um, Vancouver. All right, these, these are that makes me an ugly American fine, but if it's American TV dollars that are driving it, American stations should have a say in it. Just saying. All right, when we come back, I never realized that it was controversial to reach out to someone who is ill and say, my thoughts and prayers go to you, but it apparently is. Stick around. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let's talk for a minute about this trial going on in downtown Milwaukee, the Devin Kramer case. She is the Brown Deer police officer who has been charged with aggravated battery in connection of this incident where she tried to remove an out-of-control 300-and-some-pound guy from a bus. The jury has just sent a note saying that it cannot reach a unanimous verdict. Um, in other words, they are deadlocked. Let, let's back up and let me explain to you what I, I think that this means and what the law is in this regard. Um, in order, in a criminal case, you need a unanimous verdict. In other words, all 12 jurors have to unanimously agree that the state has either proved the guilt of the defendant beyond a reasonable doubt 
or they need to be unanimous that the state hasn't proved guilt, that the person is, is not guilty, the state's failed in its burden. Um, if not, if you can't reach that unanimous verdict one way or the other, what you have is a deadlocked jury. Um, this note that they sent out says that we're deadlocked. We, we can't reach, we can't agree beyond, we can't agree that the state's reached its, proved its burden, or that, you know, and so who knows? Could be two people in the jury think that the person thinks she's guilty, could be ten, but they can't reach a unanimous verdict. What's happened is the judge in this case has given, well, the state equivalent of what is known as the Allen charge, A-L-L-E-N. This refers to a Supreme Court case, which a U.S. Supreme Court case, which is where when you're told that the jury is deadlocked, the judge and pretty clear the judge can only do this once. If the judge starts to do it more than that, you know, there, there's huge appeal issues. The, the judge can say something along the lines of, You've heard the evidence. There's no jury that's better equipped to decide this case than you are. I encourage you to go back, resume deliberations, keep open an open mind, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and the judge can send them back and ask them to continue deliberating. Um, so the question is, what happens now? If they go back and resume deliberations and still can't reach a verdict, in all likelihood, the judge has no choice but to declare a, a mistrial in connection with the case. Once you've given the Allen charge, um, I, I don't want to say that you could never give it a second time, but you're, you're, you're on very shaky legal ground if you would give it again. You get to give it once. You get to say, try to continue your deliberation, see if you can reach a verdict. If they come back at some point in time later and say, no, we're, we're just hopelessly deadlocked, then you are looking at a mistrial. What happens in the case of a mistrial? Then the prosecution has to decide whether they want to try to retry the case. Um, so that's where it stands now. My guess is there will be some resolution of this sometime this afternoon. And I, again, I don't know what the dynamic is in, in the jury room. Typically, once, in my experience, um, once once a jury says it's deadlocked, um, uh, it, it's it's unlikely that they're going to be able to reach a verdict, but but who knows? It, it could be again, it could be eleven to one, one way or or the other. You know who knows? But you know, once you have a jury that says it's deadlocked, in my experience, the majority of the cases that means they're, they're going to probably stay deadlocked. Uh, people kind of get entrenched in their various positions. So if there is a mistrial declared because the jury can't reach a verdict, that means that the prosecution then has to decide. You know, do we go through this again? Now, let me give you some observations. And I said this at the beginning of the trial. I, looking at the facts of this case at the outset, based on, you know, what was in the public record and all, as I said on the radio, and we can go back and we can check the tape, I did not think that there was any way in the world that the Milwaukee District Attorney's Office was going to be able to convince 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that this police officer was guilty of a crime. Uh, that that was my prediction in this case. And, uh, I mean, again, maybe maybe there might be a couple people who think that she's guilty or whatever. I just didn't think you'd be able to get 12 people to agree unanimously under the facts of this case that this woman was guilty of a crime. Um, after having watched the first week of the trial and news reports and things and then seen portions of the trial, I was on vacation last week, I'm more convinced than ever that this is a case that just screams reasonable doubt. It, it just, it screams reasonable doubt to me. 
if there is, in fact, a hung jury and a mistrial, it would be the height of irresponsibility for the district attorney's office to try to retry this case. I don't believe that this was a prosecution that should have been brought. I think it has a chilling effect on law enforcement. I think this was reflective of a lot of the bad judgment that you see on a regular basis coming out of John Chisholm's office. And this was a two-week trial. I mean, think of all the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars that was spent on this trial involving this brown deer police officer who comes from a history of police officers who gets into a life-or-death struggle with a guy who is, at, at best, at best being non-compliant and at worst, putting her in a life-threatening situation. I mean, what do you gain by this? I don't know what point uh, John Chisholm was trying to make. I think if it turns out to be a mistrial, it would be very fair to say that Chisholm might have been trying to play politics in connection with this. But if this is a mistrial, to retry this officer would be an absolute and total outrage. And again, my guess would be one way or the other, um, there will be a, a decision sometime later today. The judge is going to instruct them, either has already instruct, uh, instructed them, or will shortly say, keep deliberating, try to come to a verdict. Um, if they come back and still say they're deadlocked, looking at a mistrial, if this is a mistrial and Chisholm's office decides to retry her, every taxpayer in the city of Milwaukee, or most taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee, should be Outrage. Now, again, I could be I could be completely wrong about this. Jury could come back and find her guilty of something, but uh, I think that that would be a surprise. Um, so that's where that stands. We'll continue to keep you updated. Uh, the worst unindicted attorney general in American history. He's making news in Wisconsin. I will tell you about that. And then after that, when you send somebody your thoughts and prayers. Is that a meaningless gesture? Stick around. It's 2.15. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 2.18, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Eric Holder, the Attorney General for much of the Obama administration, in my opinion, the worst unindicted Attorney General in the history of America, history of this country. He, he's back. He, he's now aligned himself with this lefty political organization that is going around the country trying to use the legal process in a way to elect Democrats. And Eric Holder and his group have now descended into Wisconsin. So here's here's the deal. Um, the state Senate is is out of session or will be out of session shortly, within the next couple weeks so um there are vacancies you know right now there are two vacancies that have been created because of retirements um in in the state legislature and so what governor walker has said that he's going to do is that he's not going to fill these seats via special election because you know, candidly, he says, okay, the legislature's not going to be in session. There, There's a primary election in August. There's a general election, which will be to fill these seats in um, November. And the legislature's not going to be in session. So what the governor is saying is, you know, why 
why would we spend the thousands or the tens of thousands of dollars to try to, you know, elect somebody? One is going to fill the vacancy of Frank Lassay of De Pere in the state Senate, and one representative, uh, Keith Ripp of Lodi, who have stepped down to take jobs in the in the Walker administration. So Walker says, look, the Lassay's seat is going to be up in November. The state Senate is going to be out of session in a couple weeks. You know, we, we can't have a primary election and a general election. That's going to take us to, you know, who knows, May or whatever. Why would we fill the seat in May, you know, when it's going to be, then you're going to have another primary in August, then you're going to have a general election in November. Um, the same thing true for the assembly seat. So Walker says, especially given the fact that the assembly and the Senate are not going to be in session, we're just going to let these seats sit vacant until November. We're going to save the taxpayers all this money. And by the way, um, just for whatever it's worth, and I throw this in, neither one of those seats, even if the Dems were able to flip those seats, it's not going to switch party control. And it's not like that Senate seat is the deciding seat between who's going to control the state Senate. And it's certainly not like that one seat, even if it flips to a Democrat, is going to make any difference as to who the majority party is. But the legislature is not going to be in session anyways, right? So Walker says it makes no sense to come out and to spend, again, tens of thousands of dollars to have an election. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look at the time frame. But again, we're at the end of February. So you know, to go through this election process, people getting signatures, you have a primary if you need it, then a general election, a special election, you know, in May in order to, you know, so somebody's going to be in office for a couple months before the whole thing starts over again. So Walker says, no, I'm not going to do it. Eric Holder and his lefty group parachute in here and file a lawsuit. And there's a state statute that... I don't know. There's there's a state statute which talks about how soon these have to be held. There's two reasonable interpretations of this. Who knows which way the court is ultimately going to go on the language. But there's really no point in having an election under these circumstances. The Holder Group wants to do it, though, because they're mindful of what happened in the 10th Senate District where the Democrats picked up a seat. So they're hoping to say, even if it's only for a couple months, we want to try to see if we can pick up another seat. We're going to spend all this sort of money. It's all political maneuvering. It has nothing to do with the people of the district, nothing to do at all with that. Eric Holder doesn't care about representation. All this group is trying to do is say, hey, do we have a chance to pick up another seat for the Democrats, which gives us in a little bit stronger position when we have to run again in November? It's nothing but politics. It has nothing to do, again, with representation of the individuals in that particular area. It, it really just doesn't. Interestingly enough, too, the, the seats that are, are vacant, one is – Again, one is the Senate seat, let's say Senate seat in um, Green Bay, and the other is in Lodi. Okay, those are the seats. These are presumed to be safe Republican seats. The lawsuit, they filed it in Dane County, um, hoping, of course, that you can get one of the lefty Dane County judges to try to you know, order something like this. Interestingly, that they didn't choose to file in Lodi, or they didn't choose to file in Outagamie County or Brown County or whatever. They tried to cherry-pick stuff and go to Dane County, where you have, what, eight judges, 
all of whom are much more liberal than most of the judges across the state. So the bottom line is Walker, I think, is trying to be fiscally responsible. The Democrats are playing politics here. How a Dane County Circuit judge is going to decide it, I don't know. Um, ultimately, though, I think it's going to be decided by the Supreme Court. My guess is no special elections in, I don't know, late April or May or June to fill a seat for three or four months, and that's good for the taxpayers. All right, when we come back, huh, sending your thoughts and prayers to someone. When did that become controversial? I'll tell you all about it. It's 225. This is Jeff Wagner. Twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, crew who's produced the show today and always. You know who Kevin Smith is? Yeah. Okay, Kevin Smith, um, a, a filmmaker. He's had some really, really good stuff, and he's had some really, really bad stuff. His first, uh, his first directorial effort that people might know is is Clerks, the the black and white uh, thing that became kind of an indie hit. Um, I actually like Clerks uh, quite a bit. He plays a character called Silent Bob. There's like Jay and Silent Bob, and they went on to make um, the Jay and Silent Bob characters made a couple. They appeared in a couple of Kevin Smith's movies, and they made their own. Um, that's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Is a it's it's one of these mesmerizingly bad movies. You just kind of watch it, going, "Oh my god, I can't." It, it, it's I don't want to say it's so bad it's good because it's not good, but it's that you just you just watch it going, I can't believe they're doing that. But he's done things. He did Chasing Amy. He did Dogma, which I it for some reason appeals to me. He did Jersey Girl, um, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, like I say. He, he's done a, a number he's done a number of things. Um Kevin Smith two days ago had a massive heart attack. Um apparently a hundred percent blockage of, you know, um one of his arteries um, life-threatening sort of situation. So, okay, that's the background. He's had this massive heart attack. Chris Pratt. Everybody know who Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt is Chris Pratt. Um, he he was in uh, he was in Wonder Woman, right? I think he was in one, but I mean, no, not Wonder Woman. Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, right? Guardians of the Galaxy guy, right? Um, but he's been in other things a, as well. Uh, but best known for for Guardians of the Galaxy. So, all right, he finds out that Kevin Smith has had a massive heart attack. So he takes to Twitter, and this is what he tweets. Kevin, we don't know each other too good, Hmm. but I have loved you since clerks, and I'm praying my ass off for you because I believe in the healing power of prayer. Can you please pray with me, people? Okay? We don't know each other that well. I'll clean up the grammar. But, you know, I've loved you. I, I'm I'm praying for you. And he sends out to his Twitter followers, can you pray with me, people? All right? He then does a follow-up tweet where he says, praying for you. I will continue to do so. You inspired me with your movie Clerks when I was a senior in high school. Um, all right. So that's what he sends out. All right? Okay. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, where are we going with this? Why is this controversial? Because social media has lit up with people attacking Chris Pratt. And the argument is, well, what are you doing? Prayer does nothing. Why would you be encouraging people to pray for somebody? Doctors and nurses save lives, not not prayer. So 
Why are you doing this? And this is not just one or two people. This is this huge response out there, people saying, well, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when you say I send my thoughts and prayers to shooting victims. What what good is that? So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this kind of hit home because I was on vacation last week, and a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, I get a text from his wife saying, Hey, he's your your friend is in the hospital, and you know, he went in for a routine procedure, and something happened. He had a heart attack, and my first response, you know, we kind of discussed details, and I said, "Well, um, please let him know that you know my prayers, my wife and I prayer, our prayers are with him." All right, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong because you know what? I guess I do to an extent believe in the power of prayer. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Have we gotten to a point in America in two thousand eighteen where sending your thoughts and prayers, or in particular asking people to pray for somebody, that is that is something that you mock? Two thirty six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, I was talking to Eric Billstad off the air, and this whole thing just just demonstrates. Look, the the internet, and social media is great. But it just demonstrates there's too damn many people out there that desperately need lives. And there are these like dark corners where people just feel this need to kind of urinate on on anything, anything and, and everything. Here's what we're talking about. Chris Pratt, who's a Chris Pratt, who's a movie star starred in Guardians of the Galaxy. All right. He finds out that film director Kevin Smith who maybe you know some of his work or not, Clerks is his first thing, and Chasing Amy and Dogma. And, okay, Kevin Smith says, I had a, heart, a massive heart attack. Could have died, 100% blockage in the hospital. Chris Pratt sends out a tweet to his hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers saying, hey, Kevin, um, I, I followed you from the beginning. You were inspirational to me. I'm praying for you to recover, and I'm encouraging you know everybody out there, all his followers, we, we want you to you know, we, you know, pray for it. You know, we, we, we want to send you our prayers. He gets blown up on Twitter by a lot of these, in my opinion, losers out there who are, oh, that's nothing. Prayer does absolutely nothing. It's meaningful. It's doctors and nurses that save lives. 414-799-1620. Have we really come to this point in America in 2018 where if you say, gee, I, I, you know, my, I'm sorry you're sick. My prayers are with you. And again, this kind of hit home because, like I say, when I was in Key West last week, I learned that a friend of mine had a heart attack, you know, and I, I, my first response to his wife was, okay, well, you know, Fran and I, my wife, we're Fran and I, we're going to be praying for, for him to, you know, to recover. 414-799-1620, Robin in Nina. Robin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you know, I think prayer is kind of similar to candlelight vigils and awareness ribbons and things like that, that it makes people who are doing the action feel better and it makes the recipient feel you know know that people care about them yeah but the difference is that you know i don't know if there's a deity up there who answers prayers or not but if there isn't no harm no foul and if there is maybe the prayer is actually having an effect and either way it makes people feel better and i think there's too little of that going on in the world yes you know i um i don't want to i i mean Robin, I, th- I think you're a regular listener, and a lot of people know my, my first wife passed away a couple of years ago. I, I can't tell you how touched I was by the the thousands, and I mean literally thousands of cards and emails I got, and a, many of them, you know, said, "Hey, we're you know we're we're praying for you and your family." And I 
I, I mean, and I thought I, I thought that was touching. And I mean, I, I don't know if you know what that role is, but the, the sh- to me, that's a way of saying that people are out there caring. They they care about you, and and what could possibly be bad about that? Yeah, I you know when my dad was having surgery several years ago, and he was not religious, and he had four very Catholic ladies praying for him, or were friends or relatives, and his response was, "Thank you for thinking of me." It was not to criticize them for believing in something he didn't. And he really appreciated that they were praying on his behalf. And he came through his surgery very well. And mm-hmm. he had an incredibly skilled physician. But, you know, maybe there was a God up there guiding his hands. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, we, we, we don't know. But I, I go back to what you said. It can't hurt. <laughs> you know, it just... It, it can't hurt. But but I guess it would just... It's just amazing to me that there's there's people out there that would respond and and just again feel the need to you know diss somebody. Oh, how dare you say that? That's just ridiculous. You know when when I, I think that that's that's a nice gesture of of compassion and it's a way of showing caring. And does it make a difference? I don't know, but it shows you care and that to me has a huge value. Yeah, that's the most important thing and it says a lot about those people who are criticizing Chris Pratt. You know, how unhappy must those people be that they can't even, you know, a lot of them probably say they don't believe in God, so then why are they worried that somebody is calling on something they don't believe in? You know, I don't know why they have to ridicule people I, who have different beliefs. Well, right. Thank, I mean, it's just, it, it's the dark side uh, of the Internet and social media where you have people that just feel compelled to just dump on anything, and I was going to use another word, dump on anything that, that's out there that might make somebody else feel good. I've got a number of texts. Jeff says, I thought I don't feel that thoughts and prayers are meaningless. People have said it to me on social media when my dad and two friends passed away, and I actually appreciate it. They should try arts and crafts instead with their excess free time instead of complaining. All right, let's talk to Renee in New Berlin. Hi, Renee. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Well, I guess I'm one of those odd people that actually does believe in God. And, you know, I've had so many miracles in my life, I can't even begin to tell you them. But, you know, it's a sad place in the world when you have people condemning people for saying that they will pray for you. Maybe if there was more prayer and more belief in God, this world wouldn't be going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> well, well, right. I mean, thanks for call. I mean, to me, to me, it, it's a, it's a, it is a way of expressing caring and and sort of, um, I don't know, like a, like a positive, a, a positive, you know, a- affirmation. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's a way of saying, hey, this, this ends up, you know. You know, making a, a and I don't know if it's going to work. I I really don't. Um, Kyle, but you know, but but who could be upset by this? I mean, how petty, mean spirited you have to be to be upset by this? Um, Kyle and Wallatosis is the absolute dictionary definition of virtue signaling. A virtue sig a virtue signaling positive thoughts is infectious. And Chris Pratt is a genuinely nice guy. Um, if many people wish Kevin well and it gets back to him. That can be emotionally strengthening. Prayer doesn't always have to be directly answered to work. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is it is a way of expressing things. And, okay, maybe you don't believe in prayer. I get it. That's fine. I'm not telling you you have to. But I don't think anybody else should be telling people like me if I say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to remember you in my prayers. 
I don't think that people should be mocking me for that. And the people that are, man, get a life. All right. As we have been telling you about since about 1208 yesterday, we're rolling out Insight 2018. It is an event. Uh, we've been doing it for a number of years now. This is the second year that I've been the one that's kind of been spearheading it. It is t- Insight 2018 is Wednesday night, March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. We've got a dynamite lineup, including Governor Scott Walker, Senator Ron Johnson, the State Attorney General, my friend Kathleen O'Leary from the Wisconsin State Fair, uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court candidate Mike Skranek. Um, we're going to have Wisconsin, there'll be a presence from the Wisconsin GOP Senate candidates. Um, great, great event. And I have a pair of tickets to give away to Insight 2018 Rue. Let's give them to caller number nine. Caller number nine at 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, wins a pair of tickets to join me and a star-studded Group of guests at Insight 2018 presented by my friends at Annex Wealth Management. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have a winner of our two tickets uh, to Insight 2018. Um, we will be giving away pairs of tickets all week. But look, look, I mean, let, let's face it, chance of winning. I mean, the, the odds are lots of people want them and stuff, so I want to encourage you to participate. But don't let that stop you from getting your own tickets. We're expecting uh, just a huge turnout, especially with the lineup we have and it being an election year. Um, your chance to see a lot of the newsmakers up close and personal in a more intimate setting maybe than you traditionally do. And it's all a lot of fun. Plus, I'm going to be there. And the question I get the most is, is your wife going to be there? And yes, she said she wouldn't miss it. So she'll be there as well. Gru, you are going to be there, I think, probably. No, you don't. You haven't heard yet. No, you're going to be there. Um, you know, last year, my producer, Hondo, he got the biggest round of applause. Uh, Governor Walker got the biggest one, and then Hondo, you know. So, you know, this is going to be your coming out party, sort of. Not coming out of, you know, I'm just we'll just leave it like that. You'll be coming out, making the appearance, I think, probably at Insight 2018. It's March 28th. Tickets are $25. That's a bargain. Um, go to WTMJ.com, or you can text the word INSIGHT, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, to uh, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right, I, I just I tease this topic. Uh, I use this as one of my promos, and I, I do want to discuss it, even though we're kind of up against the clock. Um, I, I'm a, I am a huge fan of pop culture, and I think no secret about that. I love movies. I love TV. I, I love theater. And I'm I'm kind of a sucker for like all the old Broadway shows, you know. And, and if you look back at a lot of the the big successful Broadway musicals, um, let, I'm, let's start with like My Fair Lady, for for example. Um, you know, Carousel would be another one. Guys and Dolls would be another one. I could go on and on, but one of the things that that they're based on is they're essentially Various versions of boy meets girl, and ultimately boy gets girl to fall in love with with him. Um, my fair lady. Let's let's take that as an example because everybody knows about that. You know, we've got the whole story of Henry Higgins who finds Eliza Doolittle, and she's the flower girl, and he turns her into this lady, and um, then she starts to I don't know find her own identity. And then at the end of, interestingly, at the end of the musical, not really the end of the play, but at the end of the musical, 
you know, she comes back to him and his last line is, Eliza, fetch me my slippers. You know, that it's, it's very dated when you view it in terms of like 2018, but nevertheless, it is a classic. Same thing is true. I don't know how many of you have seen like Carousel, but Carousel, um, you know, that's a performance that involves, well, it, it's a story about a guy who's like a barker on a, on a carousel. Um, he's a carnival barker and has a relationship, falls in love with this mill worker named Julie. And, um, he's, he's abusive, but, you know, she loves him anyways and overlooks this. It, it, by 2018 standards, these are, these are dated sort of things. Um, there's, there's the movie Pretty Woman. Um, you know, Pretty Woman, he's a hooker, you know, and at, at the end of, of Pretty Woman, you know, he, she's found her knight in shining armor. If you've seen the movie, you know, that's Richard Gere. And, you know, he sweeps her off her feet. And again, it's, it's sort of this sexist sort of thing in, in a way, but on the other hand, it's kind of like good, clean fun, and it is what it is. And a lot of this goes back to the Shakespeare play, Taming of the Shrew. Um, and if you've ever read, it's it's a, the comedy, you know, Taming of the Shrew. Um, that's that's about a a fierce woman who is persuaded to humble herself to uh, please her husband, and it was kind of like. You know, from from Taming of the Shrew, you got Kiss Me, Kate, and then the, a variation of that was, um, I think that's always been viewed as kind of like a knockoff of uh, that. My Fair Lady was sort of a knockoff of that. But you have the reason I bring this up is all these different plays are now being revived on Broadway. You know, My Fair Lady is coming back, Carousel is coming back, and in the Me Too movement, there's a lot of people who are now out there saying, "Oh, well, this is terrible. This is sexist. How can?" How can we stage My Fair Lady in 2018 when, you know, you have the character that ultimately is going to be, you know, do what she wants, you know, do what Henry Higgins wants her to do? How can you stage Carousel? How can you stage Pretty Woman where the thing is she's trying to marry the rich guy? How sexist? How misogynistic? All right. My question for the people who object to this is, does everything have to be viewed in political terms? Does everything have to be viewed in light of the Me Too movement, for example, or in light of, hey, um, you know, whatever the mores are of 2018? Can't you reach a point sometimes where you say, you know, okay, th- this was this was a musical in 1953, and, and maybe some aspects of it are kind of dated, but you know what? At the same time, it's got really, really compelling songs, and it's got kind of an interesting storyline. And after all, at the end of the day, it's just a play. Can't we view stuff as just entertainment without necessarily trying to impose or overlay our particular political beliefs or our social mores? Can't you just go to a play and say, I'm going to enjoy this for the play? Can't you read Taming of the Shrew and recognize, okay, Shakespeare wrote this, and whenever Shakespeare wrote it, let me enjoy it as a product of its times. I just think that we're losing our sense of humor, and that's a bad thing to have happen. It is 2.54. When we come back, John McCure is on the road. It's an exciting thing he's doing today for Honor Fund, Honor Flight, and you still have a chance to participate. We'll talk to John in just a couple minutes. 2.54. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.